This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. If you would uh, grab your Bibles or your devices, however you access the Word, and go ahead and open to the book of John, and we'll also be in the book of Ephesians a little bit later on. Uh, We welcome you, welcome our guests today, and uh, welcome you that are watching online and those that are listening on radio, always good to uh, connect with you Sunday mornings. In the late 1800s, doctors and scientists believed in something called spontaneous generation, not spontaneous combustion, rather it was spontaneous generation. And And the idea behind spontaneous generation was that non-living organisms could all of a sudden spontaneously become living. You know, for example, it was actually believed that fleas could be formed from dust, not from other fleas in the dust, but from non-living dust particles. They, They believed that all of a sudden, just spontaneously, fleas could just come to life. It was also widely accepted that out of nowhere a disease could just spontaneously appear on your skin or in your body without it having originated from another similar living organism. Well, then a French chemist and microbiologist by the name of Louis Pasteur came along and and basically turned the scientific and the medical world upside down and said, well, wait a minute. You know, our theory of spontaneous generation is not really supported because his research brought to light that there are living organisms that are completely invisible to the naked eye, and he found that those organisms could be carried by the wind, they could be passed on by touching someone's skin, they could live in food, they could be passed on by, by a cough or a sneeze, and, and these living organisms that were unseen transmitted those diseases that were thought to have just spontaneously popped up. And so Louis Pasteur concluded that contrary to what everyone believed in in that particular day, diseases did not just randomly crop up and did not just randomly come to life from non-living organisms. That there's there's an invisible world of germs or, or microorganisms, and at that time they didn't call them microorganisms, but, but he said that there is a world of invisible germs that led to what became known, would become known as the, the germ theory of disease. Well, this new germ theory of, of disease uh, caught on pretty quickly among the small, close-knit group of, of the medical community he was part of. And so they began washing their hands, not, not just to get dirt off of their hands, but uh, they began washing their hands to minimize the spread of these invisible germs that impacted people's health. Remember, this was in the late 1800s. And they also began uh, uh, trying to uh, encourage people to stay away from sick people, and of course today we would call that quarantine or, or, or social distancing. But as always, when you have a new theory, there's resistance. And and many people, especially outside of the medical community, but even some in in the medical and scientific community, they were skeptical and they thought Louis Pasteur's theory was crazy. They said, you're nuts. 
I would imagine, imagine it was very similar to the opinions regarding COVID. You know, even though I, I think probably the majority of the medical community would more or less be united. They're not united on very many things, but united on the fact that COVID is probably a virus and can be spread through the air, maybe even the touch, yet you still have some people that would say, no, 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 this, this whole COVID virus thing is all crazy. It's a hoax, and the CDC, and, you know, Dr. Fauci, they're just spreading fear. And in the 1800s, it was that same way. When, when the germ theory of disease began to form, you had people saying, ah, wait a minute, you're telling us there's something so small that we can't see it, but it can float through the air, it can land on food, it can land on a person's skin, and if we don't wash or take precautions, then that can cause us to not only get sick, but then we can transmit that to somebody else. Is that what you're saying? And to which Louis Pasteur would say, well, absolutely. Well, today the, the germ theory of disease is no longer debated. Medical science has been able to further prove the existence of invisible disease-causing germs and microorganisms, and, and so I think we all believe in germs, and we all believe in the spread of germs. You know, I, I've never been a, a, a germaphobe. I, uh, I was raised in a third world country, for those that don't know, and I've traveled a, a good deal to other countries that are certainly not as sanitized as our country, so I, I didn't live in a neat little sterile world, and I traveled into mining communities as part of my ministry where the average life expectancy was 38 years uh, because of tuberculosis and black lung. But, but even way before COVID became a household word, as casual as I have been towards germs, I still found myself taking a little bottle of hand sanitizer on my international trips. Because here's what I know, and here's what you know. The invisible world of germs doesn't stay invisible. Once the germ finds the right environment, whether it's the surface of our skin or an open wound on the skin, once it's able to find its way into our body through our eyes or through the food that we put into our mouth, even with my limited knowledge of science and medicine, I've learned that if we're not careful, what is invisible will become visible. Once the germ finds a place to reside and reproduce what started out as a tiny, insignificant, invisible microorganism will eventually become visible and will turn into a disease or a sore or a sickness and it will become visible. I don't think anybody here would dispute that. Now, Having said all of that, and where we want to go this morning and for the next few weeks, Lord willing, in a series, new series I'm calling Distorted, is that just as there's an invisible world of germs that impacts us, the Bible says that in a completely different realm, there's also another invisible world. And this invisible world doesn't impact us physically with a disease, but it impacts us with distortions. Distortions in our attitudes towards morality and, and purity. Distorted attitudes towards our finances. Distorted attitudes towards our relationships, towards our, our, our marriages. Distorted attitudes on how we do business. This invisible world that we will study today impacts everything about us and everything about what, uh, everything we do. But yet, 
just as the people who resisted the germ theory back in the 1800s because they couldn't see the germs with their eyes. Today, many people, and maybe even some of you, tend to ignore or resist the fact that there is an invisible world that impacts the visible world. And we say, wait a minute, you're you're telling me there's a spiritual realm that I can't see? That impacts things that I can see? That's crazy. But the Bible tells us that there is that invisible world that many of us don't like to think about, much less talk about. And and this invisible world impacts our visible world every single day. and, And we don't need a microscope to see it. You know what we need? For many of us, all we need is a rearview mirror. Because all we have to do is look back in our life. And we see things that we can say, how could I have been so dumb? You know, how could I have thought that that was a good thing when looking in the rearview mirror, it was so clearly a bad thing? Why would I have thought that the world's approach to finance of, you know, keeping up with everybody else and spend what you get and more, and how could I have been so duped to believe that everything would actually end up like the American dream promises? Why could I not see that that little harmless habit or or that harmless pastime that, that kind of settled my nerves was actually a pathway that led me to an addiction that I've struggled with most of my adult life. Why could I not see that in that moment? I mean, looking back, it's so clear to me. And maybe some of us don't even need a rearview mirror. All we need is a mirror because it's not in the past. It's in our present. You know, we make good decisions in moments, decisions in moments of sanity, but then we go and get with, a, you know, a group of people or an individual or a certain environment. It's like we lose our perspective. It's like we abandon everything we believe in. And, and in those moments, our, our thinking gets so messed up and distorted, and, and we rationalize away our sanity, and we do things that later on we can't believe we actually did. And, and we wonder, how in the world could I get so messed up? Or maybe it's not us, but as we look around at some people we love and we watch them make decisions and think, why can't you see that what you're doing you know, is, a, is a terrible decision? But in that moment for, for them, because their thinking is so messed up and distorted, they can't see how foolish their decision is. You know, when we look back historically as a culture and as a people, as, as a country, even as churches, there are different matters back in our history that cause us to think, how could we have been so confused on things? For example, how could we as a country have, and many Christians have been okay with slavery? How could we as a people, especially church people, who as kids used to sing red and yellow, black and white, they're precious, and just say, how could we have ever thought that the color of our skin or our race would make somebody better or worse? How could we have thought that? Or how could we think that? How could we as those who claim to follow Jesus and claim to follow his word, how could we have gotten so confused on, on morality and, and, and principles of marriage? How could we as a people who who say we are Jesus-loving Christians have lost a proper view of the dignity of life regardless of the age of the individual 
How could that happen? Well, it's, it's real simple. As we're going to see from the Bible, it's because there's a distortion of truth. And the one that causes that distortion is unseen. He's like those highly contagious microorganisms that are completely invisible, but definitely present and definitely dangerous. And the one that that causes the distortion of truth has learned to mix in enough truth to where when we look at something, we see enough truth to where we buy into it and don't pay attention to the fact that it's mixed with a lie. Now, Jesus gives us some real specific insight into the unseen world. And as we open to our our, our Bibles to John chapter 8, can I just warn you here? Jesus' explanation of this unseen world, and we're not going to get weird today. We're not going to get hellfire and brimstone-ish or anything like that. But I, I want to warn you that Jesus' explanation of this unseen world is unsettling. In fact, over the next few weeks, more than likely, some of our positions may be challenged a little bit. Because here's what's happened. We have embraced the cultural view of morality. We've embraced the cultural view of finances. We've embraced the cultural view of marriage. Instead of embracing the biblical view. And we've been influenced by whatever our media supports or our sports stars support or our politicians support. And if we try to buck up against the position of those outspoken voices, we're viewed with such disdain. So sometimes to keep from being viewed as old school, we've backed off and we've kind of passively accepted the new normal. So in this series, our positions may be challenged a little bit. Since I have just killed the service this morning, maybe I should just dismiss you and let you go home and lick your wounds. But let me kind of give give the setting leading up to where we will pick up our reading in John chapter 8, verse 43. This is what's taking place in the verses preceding where we will pick up the scripture. Jesus is having a conversation with some religious leaders and and he's far enough into his ministry to where he's done a lot of miracles. He's, he's taught some amazing truths. And, and there, there are people that are kind of nodding their heads and saying, you know what? He may be the Messiah. But not everybody felt that way. The religious leaders, they're skeptical. They're, they're jealous. They don't like the fact that he isn't keeping their longstanding traditions. And in their minds, they don't believe there's any way that this could be the Messiah. So so here's what Jesus is saying to those skeptical religious leaders. He says, after all you've seen me do, after all you've heard me say, you're telling me that you still do not believe that I came from God and you do not believe that I'm God's mouthpiece and that he's speaking through me. And, And their response is, these religious leaders, they say, Jesus, if God wanted to say anything to us, he would not have said it through you. He would say it through Moses and Abraham. We have their writings. We don't know you. We don't trust you. You can't be from God. Plus, we keep the rules and the commandments commandments and the centuries-old traditions. You don't. So we know we're serving God. We know you're not serving God. Well, Jesus answers back, says, hey, if you were really serving God, then you would recognize me, but you don't recognize me. Let me tell you why you don't recognize me, and, and you won't like this, but let me tell you why which takes us into our scripture, jumping right into the middle of this conversation Jesus is having with these religious leaders. John chapter 8, verse 33. 
He says this, why is my language not clear to you? So, so why don't you get it? You know, I'm telling you, why don't you get it? Is it because you're unable to hear what I say? I mean, are you deaf? Well, their hearing was perfect. So Jesus says, here's the reason you don't know who I am. Because you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. Now, now think about how offensive this was to those religious leaders. This was a major slap in the face. They had just finished saying, Abraham is our father. But Jesus says, Abraham ain't your daddy. The devil is your daddy. Try to work that approach into a conversation sometime when somebody isn't getting spiritual things. See how that goes. Well, at this point, some of you might say, oh, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. When Jesus talked about the devil, surely he's just using a figure of speech. He doesn't mean that there's a real devil that's working unseen in the world today, does he? And Well, well he goes on and, and says, he, referring to the devil, he, let me say this really fast. This is just between you and me, and I know you, you won't tell a soul here. But isn't it interesting how in our culture people don't want God to be a he anymore? I read an interesting article recently, and it said that Duke and Vanderbilt universities, who originally were started as religious colleges, three years ago they instructed their religious professors to start using more inclusive language when referring to God. They, they don't want them to consistently refer to God with a masculine pronoun, and they want their professors to also make references to God as, as a she or an it or even gender fluid, which gender fluid just means that um, you know, there, there's no set uh, gender there, no fixed gender. And this is kind of a big move in, in, in our secular society of getting away from God being a he. Um, some of you may remember back uh, on January 4th of this year, 2021, at the swearing-in of the 117th Congress, one of our esteemed Missouri representatives made us so proud when he gave the opening prayer for the new Congress, and if you remember, as he went to close his prayer, he said, a man and a woman. Of course, amen is not even a, a, a gendered word. It just means so be it. But he was so proud of himself that he had just invented this new phrase. He's, he's an ordained minister. Um, amen, a woman. Um, there, there's such a move to make God genderless. But, but here's my point. I have not heard about any move to not use the word he with regards to the devil. You know, you know, for God, oh, let's not make God a he. That, that's promoting machismo. Is that a word in English? Machismo in Spanish. Machismo, that means, you know, aggressively masculine. But instead, you know, we should view God as a he, she, or it. But when it comes to the devil, you never hear anything about making the devil gender fluid. Sorry, I digressed here. But as Jesus referred to the devil, there are two things I want you to notice. It says, he, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning. So, so Jesus says, you've been bragging about how you're related to Abraham, but let me tell you about your real daddy. Abraham's not your daddy. Your real daddy is the devil, and, and he was a murderer from the beginning. But then the second char characteristic that Jesus gives about Jesus that we really want uh, <clears throat> to focus on that Jesus gives about Satan, says, not holding to the truth, 
for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar. This is the devil. He's a liar and the father or the source or the originator of lies. So here's what Jesus believed. And you don't have to believe this if you don't want to. Uh, But if Jesus believed it, I think I'll believe it. Jesus believed that the devil's ultimate agenda was the destruction of human life and the means by which he would accomplish that destruction would be through lies, deception, and distortion. If you study the schemes and strategies of the devil, the goal of the devil, you'll find that he not only wants to destroy your soul, we know that, but as he twists the truth, as he deceives and distorts, it's to be able to destroy marriages, to be, to be able to destroy parent-child relationships, to destroy sibling relationships, to destroy friendships, to destroy churches. And so the way he does it, he distorts things by taking a grain of truth, mixing it with a lie, we get confused and begin to think that, what is right is actually wrong. What is wrong is actually right. If you don't believe me, just look what's happening in our country. In our country. Now, to give further further clarity on this, let's jump from John chapter eight to to John chapter fourteen, and and Jesus is talking with his disciples here. John chapter fourteen verse thirty says this: "I will not speak with you much longer." And now, to me, this is unsettling. This next phrase is unsettling. He says, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. Now, please don't come up to me after the service and say, hey, Joe, I'm glad you brought this up. I've got a bunch of questions about the prince of this world, so can you answer them for me? I probably can't. There's a lot about this I don't understand. When when Jesus called Satan the prince of this world, I'm sorry. I don't fully understand all of the implications here. But, but let me say this. I don't mind going with a few things I don't understand. Because every Sunday when I put this little piece of plastic, you may not be able to see it. Sometimes it's irritating to me. But whenever I put this piece of plastic on my chin and talk into it, you can hear me. I'm putting my trust in something I don't fully understand. And and this scripture is one of those scriptures I don't fully understand, but what I do understand is that Jesus believed that that this ball of dirt, that this globe that we live on, to a certain extent is Satan's domain because he called him the prince of this world. So I don't fully understand that. But what I do understand is disturbing because this means that you and I live on an earth that has been placed under the authority of the devil or at least a limited amount of authority of the devil. And I don't believe that the devil has full control, but but Jesus said that Satan is the prince of this world. And so knowing that Satan is here in this world, knowing that the devil and his forces are invisible on this earth, knowing that this invisible devil has a certain level of authority and a certain level of influence, Maybe, maybe we need to take note of this and, and perhaps factor this into some of the struggles that we have. Maybe we need to factor this into the temptations that we struggle with, knowing there's an unseen power behind this. Maybe we need to factor this into our struggles at home and our marriages. Maybe we need to factor this into our struggle with, with our prodigal son and our, our, our prodigal daughter. Maybe we need to factor this into those moments when we have clarity on something and then we get in a certain environment and we do the exact opposite. 
Just as the germ world is invisible, but yet it so greatly affects us, could it be that there's an invisible spiritual world that impacts our visible world? Thirty years after Jesus had it out with those religious leaders, the Apostle Paul would write a letter to some Christians in the city of Ephesus. And in this letter that we would call the book of Ephesians, Paul is talking to them about about practical aspects of how to live their lives, how to love their children, how to get along in their marriages, how to get along in business. But at the end of this, uh, this chapter, Paul inserts some verses that almost seem to not fit with the context. In fact, I was reading this this past week, and it was like, wait, wait a minute, Paul. Um, I, I wanted to say, Paul, these verses don't have anything to do with the practical verses you just wrote about Christian living. It's almost like you randomly, you cut and you pasted them here because you didn't know where else to put them. But as I studied this, for the first time, I began to see the connection. And it makes perfect sense. It makes beautiful sense. As, as Paul is giving practical advice saying, children, obey your parents. And, and dads, don't exasperate your kids. He's saying there's an invisible spiritual world that can distort and destroy all of those relationships. So so Paul, after giving those practical instructions to to kids and dads and relationships, in in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11, he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So earlier, remember we read where Jesus believed in the devil. Thirty years later, we find out the Apostle Paul, who wrote about half of the New Testament, also believed in the devil. And this verse says that he schemes and plans, and as we said, his strategy is to take what is true and distort it to where there's just enough truth to where people will buy into it, but enough falsehood to where they will be led astray. For example, I want to get really close to us today. The devil likes to take our appetites, which are good things as a whole, but he takes those appetites and twists them to where they become addictions. He takes desire. You know, certain desires can be a good thing, but he twists desire to where it becomes greed. He takes something that's appealing. Again, nothing wrong with something being appealing, but he distorts it to where it becomes jealousy. He takes admiration for someone and twists it to where it becomes lust. He takes people's view of God and and twists it so that they become angry at Him and they make decisions based on their anger and then blame Him for the consequences of their decisions. Paul says Satan has a scheme and a plan. Listen to what else he says. So if you're in the middle of a marriage issue, if you're in the middle of a parent-child issue or some other kind of issue, listen to these next verses. This is really helpful. Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So, So wives, ladies, it's not just your husband that's the problem. When all of the husbands said, amen, you're afraid to, aren't you? Yeah, I would be too. Parents, it's not just your daughter that's the problem. It's not just your boss that's the problem. There is the unseen that impacts the seen. 
So our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, since I'm no longer young, I, I, I've lived long enough to know that some of us land in different camps here, depending on kind of where we were raised in our religious foundation. And, and perhaps some of you, as you listen to this, or those of you that are watching online or listening to the radio, um, as you listen to this, some of you are saying, Joe, it's about time you talk about the devil. And we hardly ever talk about him around here. I wasn't even sure if you even believed in him. In fact, you've given me courage to try out that phrase on my husband, you belong to the devil because he's your daddy. I would caution you about that, ladies. Um, that, that's one camp. About time. You go, pastor. But I've also learned there's another camp. And those of you in this camp, you're, you're thinking, oh, brother, Joe, you're being one of those old-fashioned, uh, maybe even one of those that believes there's something sinister and a demon around every corner. And, and you're thinking, Joe, you, you know, you've got a pretty decent church here, but you're going to destroy everything in one series, so why don't you just stop now before you lose everybody? Come close, I want to hear just tell this to you. If you're skeptical, I understand. Because he's unseen. He's invisible. And besides that, you have your own explanation for why people get addicted to things. I mean, you, you don't need a devil to figure that out. You, you've got your own explanation as to why you and your ex-wife could never get along. I mean, it went back to her. She was all messed up before you got married should have seen it. I mean, you, we have our own explanation. But let's, let's be real honest for just a minute here. Isn't it true that every once in a while you see something or you hear about something and you, and, and you think to yourself, that's just pure evil and I, there's no explanation for it. It's just messed up. No explanation except for the devil. I mean, in 2006, a milkman spent several days planning to drive into an Amish community in Pennsylvania, go into a school, tie up little girls, kill five of them, wound five, wound five others, all because he lost a child 10 years prior. That's messed up. That's evil. That's pure evil. How about this? A group spends years and years planning to hijack passenger jets and fly them into business buildings in New York because they think that will make God happy. I mean, 9-11 was not like somebody lost his temper and shot somebody. We can kind of understand that. It's not like somebody walked in on his wife having an affair and got mad and killed a guy. You know, we understand it. It doesn't justify it, but we understand it. No, they spent years planning how can we commandeer airplanes and use them to kill and destroy and bring fear. And here's the thing, this is the point. For them, the whole time they were thinking, this is a good thing. They're thinking, this is going to please our God. If you've ever visited a concentration camp, nobody talks. Everybody whispers. It's, it's, it's so still. It's solemn. You have acres and acres of barracks. And as you walk through there, you realize this took incredible planning. 
This wasn't somebody got mad and, and did something out of anger or lost his temper. This took years of planning. This was on purpose. That's messed up. And if you ever know anything about what happened in the Rwanda genocide in 1994, listen to this. In a 100-day period, around 800,000 people that were of an ethnic minority were brutally slaughtered. 100 days, 800,000 killed. There's the ongoing Darfur genocide in western Sudan where their attitude is, hey, let's just cut off the hands and even the arms of children, not to mention, you know, slaughter 500,000 of these ethnic minority because they're not as good as we are. And again, this isn't, I lost my temper, I just got mad. No, this was a systematic annihilation of thousands and thousands and thousands of innocent people. And to us, this is horrible, this is despicable, how could anybody do this? But what I want to point out is that to the perpetrators in these cases, in their minds, this made perfect sense. In their minds, they were saying, this is a good thing. We're doing what's right. That, ladies and gentlemen, is messed up. And I could go on and on and on. You know, child pornography, we, we're totally disgusted by it. But, but to those involved in it, this money-making industry makes perfect sense. Can you believe that? They justify what they do. And then there's the whole matter of child prostitution. Not just child pornography, but child prostitution. And again, to those people involved in it, they've, they've justified in their minds this being acceptable behavior. And, and then there's the whole confusion over the new definition of marriage. And to those that are promoting this new and supposedly improved view of marriage, you know, LGBTQ, to, to them, they truly, and you hear this almost daily on the news, they're saying, we're making progress. And then the whole thing of living beyond our means, you know, the, the, the lie that more is better and Living within our means is overrated, and it's about get what you can and can what you get. And, and, and here's the thing. As we spend more and more and get nicer and bigger and better, even though it puts us in deeper debt, we feel we're making progress and starting to finally live. This is what makes us happy. Now, just pick any one of the above and drill down deep and try to explain it without a devil. Try to explain it without a schemer. Try to explain it without a distorter. You can't. You can't do it. That's why Jesus, 2,000 years ago, Jesus warned us that there's an invisible force called the devil that's a liar and a deceiver. And that invisible world impacts our visible world every single day. That's why we need to pray for our families every day. God, don't let us fall for the distortions of the devil. That's why we need to pray every day. God, help us to see everything, not through the distorted lens of, of culture or the distorted lens of our opinion. You know, well, I think this. So what? But rather we would see it through the 2020 lens that Jesus gives us in his word. And honestly, I don't... Uh, I don't fear what Satan will do to my body, my physical body. Rather, my fear is that oh, there would be a distortion of our views of marriage and our views of raising our kids and our views of making and spending money, our, even our views on politics. 
will somehow get so distorted that we will make decisions that will result in the distortion of relationships and the distortion of our priorities that could lead ultimately to the destruction of our souls. So we will pick this up next week with a really important topic, and and I pray that you will make every effort to be here. Honestly, I, I feel this is one of the most important series we've ever done. And I, I really didn't wake up mad, and I'm not doom and gloom. I, I, I'm not just hellfire and brimstone, but I believe that Satan is distorting so many things, and I don't want us to be deceived. So let me pray for you. Let me pray for me, and then we'll, we'll go. Heavenly Father, this is a big subject. It's way bigger than I am. But would you use these next few weeks not to scare us, but to bring our thinking in line to where we see things as you see them. Father, for those who are caught up in stuff and they just wonder how they got there and how they're going to get out, I pray that their world would become untwisted. Give give us insight into the unseen schemes of the prince of this world. Lord, I, I know what happens I know Satan tends to take what has been said, and again, he distorts it because he's a distorter, and then he'll begin to try to twist the words that maybe I've said today, and maybe some things that I didn't make abundantly clear, and, and God then will, he'll use that to just create more skepticism. Father, I pray that uh, you would give us clarity on this issue, on these issues, and God, it's not so much just many issues, but, it, but it's a, the, the whole concept of distortion of truth. And Lord, it evidences itself in so many different ways and in our culture and our society. But Father, I pray that you would begin to uh, give us clarity, give us clear vision, 2020 vision. Father, that we would not be influenced by our culture, that we would not be influenced by the popular trends of today that seemingly they think we're making progress. But Father, we would go back to your word. And, and God, we don't want to be critical. We don't want to be ugly. We don't want to call people names, Lord, that are in other lifestyles. We don't want to do any of that kind of stuff because I believe that that is, that is immature. But Father, we want to be loving, but yet we, we want to be able to say, you know what, here, here is God's word. Satan is distorting things. This is clarity right here. Let us, let us bring clarity to our, our world. So God, just do work. Uh, Lord, be with me this next week as I try to just work, work on kind of the direction where we're going to go. And Father, that I, I would say only what I need to say that's directed by you. Thank you for these amazing people that um, didn't walk out on me today. Just uh, give them your favor. I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.